This is Pause for Thought, a podcast brought to you by Pet Stock Assist on behalf of Animal Therapies Limited. Dr. Lauren Lindner is a clinical psychologist based in the Californian mountains above Los Angeles. She operates two very special sanctuaries that pair traumatized wildlife with returned US military veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress. Her recovery program places rescued parrots, wolves and wolf dogs, raccoons and coyotes in a sanctuary where they are cared for by veterans undergoing rehabilitation from their own traumatic experiences in war. This is Lauren's story. Lauren, thank you for joining us today on Pause for Thought. It is my pleasure to be here. You're a clinical psychologist by profession, but you come from a military family. Can you tell me something about your background and how that association with the military has informed the decision you chose to work with veterans? I think it actually started from when I was um, kind of an anti-war activist uh, as, a, as a kid, you know, really as a teenager. And then um, and I realized that we were being very misdirected in that we were sort of attacking the the um, the troops, the, the men and women who are, you know, making this huge sacrifice and 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 not really um, focusing on what we should be focusing on, which was whether or not there was a, a just uh, war going on. So this was during Vietnam. And I think after that, I I got a little guilty and I realized that um, I really wanted to dedicate my life to, to my life to veterans. So you have family members who've been in the forces? No. Uh, yes, my brother, my father, all of my uncles. So I guess you have a, quite a, a deeper appreciation, understanding of the unique struggles that they face when they return from combat. I have that understanding sort of almost innately. And then I have that understanding from having worked for the past 30 years with veterans. So tell me about that. You, you're a clinical psychologist by training. Did you, have you been working, you've been working with veterans for a long time now. How did that work start? It was a very defining moment in my life. I had just gotten licensed. Uh, this is um, October of 1988. I remember that that very well. And I I used to help the homeless people who lived in my community, and I would take them into my practice, into my office, and offer them help getting their benefits if they had any need for that. And I realized that. A good 50% of them were veterans. And I just thought that that was outrageous. But like, what, wait a second, isn't the government helping you? No, no, I'm homeless. And so um, one night I was walking home and there was a, um, a man who approached me, he said that one of the local guys had referred him to me and said, he said, can, can I can I, can we go to your office? I, I really need help. And I said, no, <laughs> I said, I'm just going home now. What, what, what do you want? He said, he's a veteran. He came out to California to get a job. He couldn't work. He, any, anyway, he ended up homeless. And I, it, that was it for me. That was the, the, the last straw. And I, um, 
I get went home that night and I wrote to every one of my legislators and major media outlets. Um, and I just said, what are we doing? What are we doing for for homeless veterans? This is outrageous. And I heard back very quickly from uh, the um, governor of California, and they put me in touch with a veteran who was trying to help homeless veterans because he had been homeless himself. And uh, it just took off from there. And at the same time, you had, was it around the same time that you established the Serenity Park Sanctuary or a sanctuary for, for parrots? It was, it was the same time, the same exact time, because what happened is that this gentleman, this veteran, the two-tour Vietnam vet, came back and ended up being homeless. And he, he empowered himself and he decided that there weren't going to be any more homeless veterans under his watch if he could help it. And uh, we went to the VA. We were banging on doors, the VA being the Veterans Administration, banging on doors. And um, they kept saying that there were no homeless veterans. And so we got in, uh, another woman involved who was a um, an, uh, homeless uh, advocate. And she had done a research survey showing that 35 percent of the homeless in in the area around the Veterans Administration were home were, were um, veterans, homeless veterans. And uh, the VA just couldn't ignore it any longer. And finally, we said, look, there's this abandoned building on the grounds of the VA that that was intended for veterans. Let's use it for homeless veterans. Uh, it took a lot of back and forth. They said we had to get an act of Congress, which our uh, veteran friend got. And uh, we were we, we went for it and we opened this program it was a hundred and fifty six bed program for homeless veterans. It was full within days and um, so much for a testimony to there not being any homeless veterans. So these veterans were living there and you were also providing counselling and group therapy sessions for them at the same time? So at the same time, I had just rescued a parrot, a cockatoo. Uh, nah, I shouldn't say uh, just a parrot, <laughs> it's a cockatoo. And um, she'd been living with me. And now, and I and I, I worked my schedule around her. I would come home and during my lunch breaks, because I my office was not far, and I would be able to feed her and baby her and all that. And then I'd come home. I wouldn't work too many hours in a row. Well, now that we opened up this 156-bed program, I was gone 12 hours a day. So, and I was doing, you know, program development. I was hiring staff. I was seeing client, you know, seeing the veterans. I was seeing, we doing group therapy. I was doing family, ther- family reintegration therapy and I was busy. Uh, so I, I, I felt really bad for leaving um, the cockatoo alone. So I got her another cockatoo, but that was, exp- and that was a rescue as well. And that was just exponential noise for my neighbors, the two of them. So I started bringing them to the office and the veterans who would sit stoically in group therapy with their arms crossed, not wanting to talk to some woman who'd never seen combat and never knew really what they had been through. 
uh, except theoretically from my studies. And uh, they didn't want to talk to me for an hour a week. This was uh, not something they were going to open up about. So the parrots got in, the cockatoos, they got in. You obviously have a deep affinity and a love for animals. You must have been aware at, at some, at, even at that stage, or, or were you not aware of the value of perhaps pairing animals or using incorporating animals in therapy sessions? At the time, it was really just dogs that were predominantly used for animal-assisted therapy, and animal-assisted therapy was sort of just coming on board. This is... Uh, you know, almost this was 34 years ago. So um, I, you know, was was we were, I was just coming to realize that, of course, I knew just experientially from my own ex- life experience that 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 the, the animals were you know lifesavers that they can make us feel better. That that's you know that a lot of kids would confide in their animals. A lot of um, a, a lot of people would get benefits like, you know, physical benefits like reduced heart, um, blood pressure rather, um, and, 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 um, you know, better healing, faster healing after surgery and just feeling less alone, less, less isolated when you have your companion dog or cat or parrot. <laughs> so, um, I didn't know that parrots would have this kind of impact. No, I did not know that. So I guess from there you started, you established this, uh, the Serenity Park Sanctuary in 2005. I suppose the difference here is that you were pairing two traumatised species, the parrots that are often, um, you know, from what I understand, you you had two parrots and then you obviously got more birds and they all had something in common that either been abandoned or neglected or they've been relinquished um, or abused. And then you had these veterans who had suffered psychological trauma. What was it about or what is it about two species that have suffered trauma that, that works in a way um, that perhaps pairing a different situation wouldn't? I definitely believe that they get each other. And by saying that, I'm not really speaking metaphysically, although that may occur on that level as well. But what happens is when you have a, 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 a trauma and you you have generally acknowledged um, symptoms that go along with that trauma, especially with regard to post-traumatic stress, And what those symptoms typically uh, manifest as are um, social isolation, mood disturbances, a lack of ability to to regain trust in in relationships and difficulty uh, maintaining relationships because of that. So when you have a dog that is used for um, trauma-related animal-assisted therapy, that dog almost always is going to accept you and you can feel comforted by that kind of acceptance and love and affection. When there's an animal that's essentially a wild animal, both of the, both of the cockatoos I rescued were wild caught cockatoos that were, you know, wild at one point. And, um, and they experienced trauma themselves, significant trauma from, 
capture to the you know killing of their the rest of the flock to get the baby birds to transport which is you know upwards of 70% of birds died during trans during illegal transports when that was much more popular and uh, then quarantine quarantine is an awful process and then going from home to home they live as long as we do so they have 8 10 you know 15 homes in a lifetime and they're not always treated well. They scream and they bite and they're yelled at, if not hit and covered up and secluded and and, and, and they're social beings. So they have trauma. The veteran has trauma. And what happens is they're not going to just come to you like a dog and sit at your lap, sit on your lap or sit at your feet. You need to gain their trust. And given that the veteran also has trauma, you need, they need to gain your, his trust, his or her trust. So it's not automatic. You have to really work at it. And I think that's one of the key features of using a wild animal. Like now I use wolves um, and foxes and uh, coyotes as part of the treatment that now they, um, they're working together to build a relationship and they have to work at it. Okay, that's that's an interesting segue into yeah the second sanctuary, um, which intrigues me because I thought you must have had your hands full with both the veterans and the parrot sanctuary. But when you moved north to the mountains, you started a second um, sanctuary for wolves and wolf dogs and other wild animals, including raccoons and coyotes. And of course, these animals are so exotic to us in Australia. So you know that's another interest for. Our, our listeners here, but again, you incorporated veterans there. And that was what a few years later. And from what I understand, your work has twin aims it's providing a sanctuary for these animals, and in a way, providing a sanctuary for veterans because both of them need rescuing. Is that correct? I have to say that um, I've been doing interviews for years now. And I, I, I haven't had anyone get it like you have. You must have really done your research. Thank you. That's absolutely correct. So do you use the same approach as a parrot sanctuary as you do with the wolves and the wolf dogs? Because we're talking about Again, we're talking about different species, but what the commonality is that they're both wild animals and I guess they've both suffered trauma. But do you have a different approach with the birds as you do with the other animals? I'm sure your listeners are thinking, well, of course she does, you know, wolves and coyotes and, you know, they, they have to be so much more careful with them. And how do you introduce them to the veterans? But I will tell you, no one has gotten bitten by a wolf or a coyote and almost everyone gets bitten by the parrots. <laughs> so the, the everyone jokes around, says how the parrots are the most dangerous animals we have here. <laughs> but um, of course, their bites don't don't do as much damage. So it's very much the same process, but it takes a little bit more caution uh, getting 
the veteran to um, have access to the wolves um, and the coyotes because um, they, you know, we want to be assured that there isn't going to be any danger to to either one of them. So we that takes a little bit longer. We it, it takes a little bit more pairing of one veteran with another that the animal trusts, and then bring that person in, and then and being allowed once they're allowed into their pack. It's it's a done deal. It's done deal for life. So why is it that um, an animal and a wild animal as such can tap into a human's vulnerability the way that another human being can't? I think that we are uh, innately, evolutionarily, we are animals. We relate to animals from the moment we're born. We co-evolved with these species. Um, and, and that's why I just want to go back for a moment. Dogs also will accept you into their pack. You know, you, d- you do get accepted into, into a dog pack as well. And they are canids. I think all canids have that. Um, but when you're accepted into wild canids pack, then what happens is all of them will eventually come and accept you. Um, even if just as long as that alpha female or male accepts you. But we we co-evolved with these with these species and we, we they're they're in our genes, they're in our genetic makeup. Working with these veterans, it's not purely um, just a, a therapy process, is it? You're actually equipping them and providing employment opportunities and reskilling opportunities to help them integrate into society. Can you talk about how you do that? Absolutely. That's a key to our program because otherwise they're just, you know, uh, workers, you know, g- caregivers. Um, but what we're doing is we're capitalizing on the skills that many of these veterans already have. First of all, compassion, because in this day and age, there's no draft. So these these men and women um, elected uh, to go into the military and protect us, our country. And so they um they already show a, um, a a predisposition to caring, um, to wanting to be of service. And we help them to do that because part of what happened is they came back from this these these wars and there there was no real employment opportunities for them. Um, so we are giving them unique skills and and utilizing the skills that they already developed, whether in the military or before that. But they 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 already come pretty well equipped with a lot of um, abilities, and we help them develop those, bring those out. Gain, regain their trust in their own and their own confidence in their abilities and, and add on more skills that not very many people are going to get, like how to restrain a wolf when we give them a rabies and, you know, vaccination. So um, they're learning a lot. We just got a grant from Disabled American Veterans to help uh, train veterans as veterinary tech assistants so that they can go out and have a, a life sustaining a career that will pay them a livable wage. But Lauren, what's your what's your long-term goal for the sanctuaries? Do you hope to branch out or is raising awareness part of your objective here? 
Yes, raising awareness in, on, on several levels. One for the veterans, first responders, those who are on the front lines about trauma, for families to understand, for the for the uh, for law enforcement to understand, for the courts to understand, because a lot of these veterans are just being put away without addressing their um, post-traumatic stress disorders. Um, the other uh, other aspect, of course, is awareness about wolves, to protect wolves, to allow wolves to live in the habitats and the ecosystems that they they have historically lived in, um, you know, before this country was settled. And then um, awareness of, um, you know, just the need to, to stop breeding wolves to dogs because almost all wolf dog sanctuaries are full and and they can't take in any more of these animals and people buy them from breeders and they end up not being able to care for them. They're cute as puppies and then they become wolves (laughs) or wolf dogs and that doesn't work for most people. So we want to have a three-pronged approach there and we'd love to be put out of business. Let wolves live freely. Let's stop breeding wolf dogs and let's help our veterans. Oh, Lauren, you are doing an amazing job on so many different fronts. What's the website address where people can learn more about the work you're doing? It's Lockwood Arc, lockwoodarc.org. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Pause for Thought. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that you and your listeners are concerned about these issues. Thank you.